Welcome to the Goal Crazy Podcast. We explore what it takes to reach your crazy goals. I'm your host, Jason Vanderveer, and together we're going to learn to take life to the next level in Goal Crazy. Let's get started. Welcome back. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship. I have the privilege of having on here Ashton Ferrazzo, who, crazy as it sounds, he decided to quit and leave his corporate six-figure earning job that he had been at for a number of years to follow a passion of his to start a business during the middle of the economic recession that we had with COVID. And he started a business selling gym equipment. His brand is Freedom Fitness Equipment, which he's now grown into a nationwide business that not only that he runs, but he runs it with his wife. He has some really Really insightful tips there about running a business with your spouse. On top of this business, he also has his own podcast called Freedom Cast. So if you really enjoy the content here and want to get more information and learn more about Ashton, be sure to check out his podcast. But let's go ahead and dive into here so you can hear about his story and the lessons that he's learned along the his way of growing and starting his business. How are you this afternoon? <laughs> I'm doing great, Jason. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about this. Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur or was that something that kind of just came about on its own? What do you think there? So that's an interesting question. So my grandfather was a, worked for the electrical company for probably 20 or 30 years. So he was, he was a company man. But the reason I mentioned him is because he was always doing something on the side. And I think I kind of got bit by the entrepreneurial bug by my grandfather. Uh, he had a real estate portfolio and was always looking to make investments with other people, good and bad, over the course yeah. of the time that I knew him before he passed away. And I just really enjoyed hearing about that, looking at different things that I could do on the side, getting involved with different side gigs and failing at those spectacularly. But it was still fun. <laughs> so part I, of the venture, I kind of right? Always had, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of always had the bug. I didn't know that it was going to hit me this hard, but I've always wanted to kind of work on the side or at least do something for myself that would be a little bit more fulfilling than working in nine to five and working for somebody else, honestly. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. You got to see your grandpa. What do you feel like looked attractive about him having those side businesses that might've caught your attention, you know, in your youth there? So for me, initially it was real estate. So uh, for a little while there, my wife and I were actually involved with residential single family real estate rental. We had one property. It wasn't anything gigantic, but I dabbled a little bit in that for a while. And I was always interested in real estate. I think basically post-college, I was looking to develop some sort of a portfolio. Uh, we eventually exited that just because maintenance costs and that kind of thing. And it's a little bit of a headache being a self-managing landlord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I do but, it myself yeah, on the I mean, side. <laughs> I yeah, know that yeah, I've got 10 apartments right now. I mean, there's pros and cons, right? Like, uh, wow. love it some days, some days it's like, <laughs> but, uh, would love to grow to the point where I can, you know, get the management off of my plate. So yeah. yeah. And that was the long-term goal is to create like a property management company. We may end up going back into it into commercial on the commercial side though, because mm -hmm. there's a lot mm -hmm. less of a, um, the tenants take care of themselves more or less. Residential real estate, they're all up in your business at all hours of the day, um, unless you set clear boundaries. But yeah, I mean, I definitely was interested in that, not only because of him, but also just because I have an economics background coming out of college and that the housing market always interested me. So it's still probably something we'll end up pursuing. Other than that, you know, we just did kind of random stuff on the side, but real estate was um, really intriguing to me early on. Yeah, interesting. 
Yeah. Well, uh, you know, before we start diving into, you know, the, the business you've grown with the gym equipment, what tell me a little bit about your story. What did you do before, you know, this entrepreneurial venture of yours? Yeah. So I graduated, gosh, wow. When would that have been? 2012. <laughs> and at the time I was working for, I had a, a marketing and an economics background. So I was a double major coming out of college and didn't use any of it. Um, I, yep. I ended up getting an, <laughs> I ended up getting an internship with a uh, Fortune 100 company, which you just mentioned in financial services. Uh, mm -hmm. They were doing pensions and I had gotten in with their technology department as an intern. Funny story there. So I got the internship by mistake. Um, okay. I interviewed, yeah, I interviewed for the full-time, what they call rotational technical associate program, which is their full-time six-month rotations in technology with benefits and salary and the whole bit. And I got the job and I was hmm. still in college as a junior. And I didn't realize I had put in two applications, one for the internship program and one for the technical associate program, hmm. thinking both of these were just temporary part-time opportunities. Sure enough, got a call, assumed, you know, went through the entire interview process, did well, I guess. And then they hmm. give me a call and they say, hey, here's your benefits package. Here's your salary. Here's everything that we would like to offer you. And I go, great. Just so you know, I'm going to be back in school at the end of the summer. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I've got another year left and they go, oh, we made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Huh. But the lady was super kind. She, she goes, um, yeah, it's not a big deal. Let me get with management. We've got an internship program and we'd love to slot you in. So I got an internship program with this company and in technology, which wasn't at all my major, but I really enjoyed. I've been kind of a nerd since day one. And uh, did content management for them, then did sales technology for them, then then actually did the full-time program and eventually went into product management on the business side. I thought, <laughs> eh, maybe I can solve some issues over there. The problem, the whole reason why I ever exited this corporation in the first place was because from the very beginning, I ran into massive problems that our company was having with clients and their technology platform. So mm. constant issues, putting band-aids on things, never really resolving anything. And I was bouncing around to different areas of the company to see if I could solve the problem better. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't solve it in technology. So I switched over to the business side thinking, oh, maybe all the problems come from the business. Of course, there are more problems in the business. <laughs> so they eventually gave us an opportunity to leave, gave us a package. And I was talking with my wife about this because right about that time, the pandemic was hitting and mm -hmm. people were just starting. So you were there for like 10 years, you know, from when you were a student. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was there for actually, I think a, a grand total of eight years. So we started the business in 2020. And okay. um, I probably should have exited the company. Honestly, I was starting to get discouraged about year three. I probably should have exited the company about three years into that. And I didn't, but um, <laughs> yep. I think I was going back to being risk averse. I think I was trying to look for just the right job and there wasn't really one out there. So there never really is. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just kind of bounced around within the company and uh, eventually decided I really need to leave this place. Oh, the other part of that was um, the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back was I was actually forcibly moved from my current team, which I absolutely loved. I'd been with for six months. I was not asked and I was moved to a completely different team, not because the previous team was being dissolved or disappeared, but because they found out this guy's a fixer. He can solve mm -hmm. client problems. We need him over here. I wasn't asked about it. I was just forcibly moved over to this other team with, I mean, I don't care about saying it now. It was, it was horrific management. And, <laughs> um, 
And so the entire team ended up leaving uh, at at one point after the package was offered because I think everybody was just, we were all pretty discouraged with the state of the company, I think, as a whole. It wasn't necessarily just management, but it's the state of the company as a whole, Mm -hmm. so... Yes, when you're working for somebody else's company, they uh, they have a lot of power over what you can do every day, right? And that's, yeah, pros and cons of having a nine to five job. So you worked there for about eight years. And on our last call, you said you had started a number of different businesses that, you know, didn't have the success this one has. So was that while you were at that job? Yes. So let's see. Yeah, tell me about some of those. (laughs) (laughs) I did a lot of flipping. So I did technology flips. So I found a guy that was on YouTube that did uh, ran a pawn shop and he did a lot of what do you call them? Not modems, but old receivers, amplifiers that you would get uh, that had the dial knobs that you Mm -hmm. would hook up to uh, speakers and things. Old TVs. I would do flips of that from Goodwill. I would do what else did I try flipping? Oh, uh, I also at the time was dabbling with Alibaba and getting, I was a big gamer nerd. So I was doing Dungeons and Dragons dice and I was trying to import those from China and create a, like a dice tower where you would drop the dice and it would just roll on its own. Hmm. Um, That failed spectacularly. I think I spent maybe eight months of my life on a, and never got anywhere. I got one prototype that was garbage. What else? Uh, my wife could probably tell you half a dozen of these other other <laughs> ones that I've tried, but it was mainly around you know reselling and yeah the buy sale game and just trying to pick up things where I think I could make a little bit of money, which is kind of where we are now. But um, yeah, none I mean, of that's really, really any product based business or even not product based business, right? It's you have the value that you create is worth this much, and you can buy it you know, at its cost of goods sold, which is less. And there's a gap there, right? Gives you the opportunity to help people and make money doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I always worked part-time jobs in college and was hustling on the side constantly, you know, for one thing or another. I just kind of, I kind of had a restless leg syndrome in that regard. Like I can never just be doing Mm -hmm. one thing. I had to be hustling on the side or doing something on the side constantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can agree with that. I was... In high school, I sold like hats or t-shirts or stuff. And then in college, we sold these hats. But it was like, it almost became part of my identity in a way of like, of course, Jason has something he's selling, right? It's like, I feel like that was one of the things of like, when I envisioned, you know, like happiness, it's like, I want something that I can sell. Like, that's, that's what I like doing. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, hmm. and then investments. I mean, uh, I mentioned the uh, the single family housing. I was looking hmm. into that for a while and trying to grow, trying to think about growing the portfolio and getting other things, other houses at auction. But I was also balancing, you know, how much debt do we want to take on as a hmm. family? So yeah, things like that. That uh, I was always doing something on the side. I think pretty much since day one. And it's funny because a lot of people in our company, as I come to found out, were also doing things on the side, especially the younger hmm. generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more popular better. watching people yeah. on YouTube, learn some things, you go give it a try. Yeah. Okay. So you tried a whole bunch of different things. And then where did this idea with uh, the gym equipment come from? Because when we were talking earlier, you know, you have a passion around gym equipment. So was that something you always had? Was it something that, you know, you found as a business opportunity and, you know, turned into a passion? How did that all come about? Yeah. So I had been working out and involved in fitness since probably before college, I started out with CrossFit and I'm a naturally skinny guy. So CrossFit made me even skinnier. So then I went the complete opposite direction and went into powerlifting, which is like (laughs) fatty McFactins and getting muscle. And I loved that environment. And I loved the guys that represented powerlifting. And then if you watch the trends within uh, particularly like the home gym space, which became really popular popular during COVID, powerlifting is the number one strength sport in 
with home gym owners, mainly because all you need is a bar and plates and you're in the strength sport. The, so I, I liked powerlifting to begin with. And I started following guys like Dave Tate and some of these home gym and garage gym review folks. And I was working out with a buddy of mine and just talking about different things I was passionate about. And particularly with the pandemic on the horizon, as we were starting to build our home gym for the first time, I was talking to my buddy. I was like, do you think, what do you think if I were to start a business, what do you think I would be good at? And mm, ask, one of the first things that's interesting. he mentioned was- Ask somebody yeah, else. Yeah. And one of the first things he mentioned was getting involved with fitness or fitness equipment of some kind. That's interesting. I directed that question, but- Because lots of times people from the outside, they can see that a little bit better than we can, right? It's like, oh, you'd be a natural at this. But we think like, oh, there's all these opportunities. I saw this YouTube video of this dude doing this or this or this. And it's like, yeah, that's interesting. Ask yeah. a friend, what would I be good at doing? Well, the thing about all the other ventures before was, and this is really important for me, my wife wasn't really able to be involved with any of them to any tangible degree. Like being a landlord, she can't, just for safety reasons, I didn't want her going out to handle tenants, flipping. She's not going to be, I mean, we've got kids. She can't be, you know, going around trying to find stuff all the time, outsourcing stuff to China. I mean, you've got to talk to suppliers at one in the morning. She's not going to be able to do that. With this potential business idea. She could be involved from a bookkeeping operation standpoint, any number of things. And mm-hmm. that was what we were looking for was. So she wanted, she wanted to get involved with a, a, a business. Well, and I also wanted her to get involved, to be, be able to be involved if she wanted to be, because I think a lot of folks are on the same page about this. If your wife's not in, it, it's not going to work. Um, mm. If your, your spouse or your significant other is not invested in the business itself, mm-hmm you might as well just not start because it's going to fall flat on its face at some point. It's going to cause too much relational stress, but she was the one that was Mm -hmm. ironically pushing me that direction Uh, again, kind of because of her dad, but also because she knew how much I very just much disliked the world I was in in corporate. Yeah. She wanted you to be happy. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was coming home every day and just uh, dumping all the problems that we were having at work on her, uh, which wasn't fair, but, she was hearing that and under, and, and that was what was kind of propelling us this direction. But fitness was a buddy of mine uh, and me talking through it and starting to, cause I love, I was like, oh man, this is, this is perfect. And then fitness equipment started to get way more popular during the pandemic. So I started picking up a few pieces and reselling them. And I think I doubled my profit on a squat rack. <laughs> and um, at that very moment, our company goes, Hey, we're offering this package for a bunch of you to leave. Hmm. What do you think? And I go, I don't know about this, but if we can make this work for say six months, and if we have provable business models in the area, which there are that have done this before, say through a previous pandemic, I think we should go for it. So I did, I did my research and, and, and continued to talk with my buddies about making the jump and talk with my wife about making the jump. And uh, fitness equipment just seemed to be it. I was, ha- I was, I liked it. I liked the home gym space. I liked powerlifting. I, I liked lifting weights. I liked getting bigger. And I also liked get, finding deals and then passing those deals on to other people. Mm. So it was a natural fit for all of those reasons. And also for the fact that you can make it a family business if you really want to. Like your kids can work on this kind of thing and not, yeah. it's not super complicated. It's just basically a reselling venture. So yeah, so we, we tried it out for, let me see, six months. 
We did really well, obviously, because the pandemic, mm-hmm. but there were a number of other gym stores in the area that had survived the 08 crunch and actually done really well. Used gym equipment mm-hmm. is one of those things that... So is that what you sell? Do you guys specialize in used gym equipment or do you yeah. use and new? Okay. We do both. We do new and used, but our, our bread and butter is going to be used equipment. It's the mm-hmm. best value and also the one that has good margins, but it's got a special place in my heart. And used gym equipment is, is like I was saying, it, it's kind of like Walmart and McDonald's. You're, it's always going to be appealing to uh, the budget budget shopper, but also the folks that can't can no longer afford, especially with right now with crazy inflation, can't mm-hmm. afford new equipment prices. You're seeing a lot of these companies actually did kind of a state of the union address on another podcast yesterday where I talked about what is the state of the gym equipment business right now, both new and used. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're seeing crazy prices, people starting to liquidate inventory that they got in from China just to free up some cash flow. And you're going to probably see some consolidation in that business. Anyway, that's a tangent, but all back to used gym equipment is a good is a good business to have in pretty much any economy, at least in my opinion. I'm obviously biased because I'm in there, but uh, <laughs> yep. we, we tested that out for a while and it seemed to work just fine. Yeah, I like that. Hey, I'm a, I give you credit for using this pandemic to start a business, right? Lots of times people, they only want to focus on the negative, right? Oh, there's this pandemic. It's the terrible time, this, and it's like, there's opportunity there, right? Yeah. There's probably been tons of businesses that were started because of the opportunities that came from a pandemic. Uh, oh, so great job doing that. For sure. Well, and also there's a lot of guys that um, tried to make a couple of bucks during the pandemic and didn't have a long-term view, which was completely mm-hmm. backwards from what we did. We actually established a good customer base by treating them well and creating some marketing materials so that people would actually come back to us. I've still got clients that remember when I was selling out of the shed in our backyard. Mm-hmm. And to me, that means that we were doing something right. We weren't just screwing people over, trying to make a few bucks. Uh, we were actually trying to have recurring customers and treat our people well. And that wasn't the case, I think, all mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. So uh, tell me about the growth of it. And now, do you have partners or is this uh, something you're doing with your wife and you know, just, yeah, your guys' family? Yeah, so it's just a family thing. So it's me and my wife. I do the uh, you know the main day to day stuff, and and um, for a while there, she was doing some bookkeeping in the background. And I got I got to uh, encourage my wife to learn those skills. <laughs> <laughs> Once she's a stay at home mom, but I think I told you on our last call. You know, we have a son, so I tease her like we well, could do this or this. But uh, you know, she's very supportive of my business. She's all in for it. But uh, I think she likes it as my thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I totally understand. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's something where, you know, as, as our kids, especially as our kids get older, they can, she can free up more of her time to be able to, to come in and do stuff with us. Her kids can do that as well. But I, sorry, your question was, uh, what's the state of the business now? Yeah. So tell me about how the growth took place. You know, there's the pandemic, you start selling used equipment out of your shed, kind of how does one thing lead to the next, right? Now you've got 4,000 square feet of warehouse or yeah. whatever you were telling me, right? Uh, you're shipping these things all over the country. So yeah, what, what brought you from there to here? It wasn't easy uh, making those leaps. So when we started out of the back of our house, it was, I mean, we've got a, you know, a little space where I was, it was basically our gym. And then I was putting all of this equipment over to the side mm-hmm. <laughs> in the gym and barely had room to work out. So that got old real fast. So we ended up building a standalone shed that was like 400 square feet and filled that to the gunnels with equipment that just sold like instantly. And we kept filling it with stuff and eventually needed more room. So we created a, uh, I got, I bought a like a a covered carport and then I got a... (laughs) 
Start getting creative. Yeah. Yeah. I got a pod installed on our property. And at that point I was like, okay, honey, we probably need to get a warehouse. So I didn't know what I was doing. And I contacted a broker and I was like, we need something. I don't know where, but we just need something to put this stuff in. And sure enough, there was a, a warehouse available in Northeast Charlotte area off of Tando here. <laughs> and we got about 2000 square feet of space, which again, we immediately filled to the brim with equipment. Had to get a forklift, had to get pallet racks to put everything up because we just kept growing and growing. <laughs> but I think it was more, uh, we were finding really good deals. We were getting more and more business. And I was I was, I was, it was a grind starting out because you've, you've got to be trolling Facebook marketplace, Craigslist offer up every marketplace you every used marketplace you can to find deals because it's you and about 50 others, especially during the pandemic that are looking for this kind of stuff. And if you're not on it with cash, you're it's gone. So you're, are you also driving to pick these things up? Yeah. So it was a, early on. I actually had to establish a commercial account with Ryder eventually because um, hmm. Ryder rental trucks. Uh, uh-huh. I was using U-Hauls, Home Depot trucks, my car, which is a wagon, and everything, big borrowing and stealing trailers and box trucks and things just to make it happen hmm. and uh, to pick everything up and then deliver it to the warehouse. I actually ended up buying a truck, which is a whole nother nightmare of a story in and of itself <laughs> uh, to get this stuff transported. But um, And we eventually sold that. But yeah, that was how we were transporting everything or hiring it out and getting other people to do it for us, which is more what we're doing now. The box truck was interesting. So back when we had the other space, it's not a great area of town. It's a decent area of a town, like mm-hmm. especially during the day, it's it's perfectly safe. But there are individuals who are less than standing, let me, I'll say, that kind of hang around at night. Yep, and fair enough. We had left some equipment in our truck kind of down the way in the parking lot but I had lost track of it. I, I, you know, it was a couple of weeks and I was just like, oh, the equipment's in there. I'll get to it eventually. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm at over at a friend's house and I get a call. Hey, this is officer so-and-so. Do you have a white box truck that's parked on the side of 85 in Charlotte? I'm like, no. <laughs> he goes, yeah, it's just uh, kind of- you do. Here. <laughs> yeah, somebody reported yeah. it just sitting here on the side is like in front of some house. And um, we're pretty sure somebody broke into it. The windshield was smashed. Wow. Wow. Catalytic converter. Catalytic converter had been stolen like two weeks earlier, so I had to get there replaced. But they had smashed, jammed the jammed a wrench into the 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 keyhole, uh, stolen the aluminum ramp that was in there. Didn't steal any of the equipment. That's the nice mm-hmm. thing about being in fitness. It, nobody steals your stuff. It's way too heavy. Uh, uh, yep. but they they took everything else, and uh, and so I just said, screw this. I'm never. I'm not doing this again. I'm just gonna rent or or hire this out going forward. I mean, they, it's probably $5,000 worth of damage on a um, truck that yeah. costs $5,000. So we had to get that repaired. And done. Those things though, like, it's good to go through those experiences when you're starting your business. Like at the time, they seem like the end of the world, right? It's like, uh, I don't know, this is what's in front of you. It's $5,000 repair. It's crazy. But then like six months goes by a year, two years. And it's like, oh yeah, like I remember that little bump, right? And it was just, uh, seemed like the end of the world. And yeah, it's just those lessons that you go through because things continue to come up in our business, right? And it's like, okay, like here's another thing. This is just how life is, right? There's that, there's the ups and there's the downs. Well, and especially starting out with a business where you have to continuously pay on a lease and you have all sorts of other fixed or variable expenses, taking a hit like that can be pretty devastating if you're not set up correctly to have like profits to cover emergencies like that. And we've We've always operated our business on a cash basis, not meaning that we take cash exclusively, but just meaning that 
we don't really take on any debt. It's great. Um, yeah. No line of credit. No, yeah. Finance against your yep. loans, against your inventory. And for a lot of people, that sounds really dumb, but for us, it just made sense because uh, again, I'm, uh, I'm pretty risk averse and I, I didn't want to put any of my family in jeopardy of mm-hmm. being in financial ruin because I made a really stupid decision about buying, you know, X mm-hmm. on credit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was, that was an interesting story about, uh, I didn't lose my shirt on that one, but it was, it was painful. I've actually got another story about that. Um, if you're interested about the first time that we got a major inventory haul. Yeah. So now what do you mean by inventory haul? Like uh, a big shipment of things all shown up at once. Yeah. So up to this point, we had been onesie. How long ago was this? Is this like, this is probably a month or two, actually, right as we were starting, right as we were getting okay. the house space. Cause I was setting this up so that this big, load of inventory would go directly into the warehouse. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the goal. So I get with this guy and it was the first time I'd ever done a deal this size. It was like $20,000 worth of inventory mm-hmm. that I was paying for him. <laughs> and he had a warehouse. He used to work for a company called Europa and it was a warehouse, like a former auto mechanic shop stock full of gym equipment that was just sitting mm-hmm. there. High end, which is like really, treasure. It's like a treasure yeah. for you, right? It's like, why do these places exist? But you find them, right? Yeah, exactly. And it was all great. You know, it was all good stuff. Some of it was more difficult to sell because we were just starting out. It was big and bulky, but I committed to grabbing all of it and had a crew out there. And I think we took one day to get uh, part of it from one location and then another half day to get about half of the equipment. And at that point I was like, I underestimated how much effort it would take, but I offered to come back with that same day to that auto shop and just take the rest of it that evening with like flashlights and all this stuff. Or mm. if that didn't work out, just come back the week and during the weekend and pick up the rest. Mm-hmm. Well, I had paid the guy already for everything that mm-hmm. day. And he up and takes 20 grand, deposits in the bank, and then ghosts me for the next six months. So he's got the rest. How much of the equipment do you have at this point? You have half of it or do you have like three fourths of it? We had about total. We probably had a half to two thirds of the equipment. Maybe a third of it was left. And we went back and forth a bunch of times. And he claimed that I, you know, you didn't hold up your end of the contract. You were supposed to pick it up on this day. I was like, look, you've still got the equipment there. Let's see if we can work something out. We went back and forth, back and forth. And he was just being super difficult about, you know, pick up. And, and I was, I was trying to do everything I possibly could. It's just like, give me enough advance notice. I will be there. I'll have the guys. We'll take the rest of the equipment. No, no big deal. And nothing. And to this day, I believe that equipment is still sitting there. And I know the exact location and I know the guy. And um, I found out way too late. The guy's a total scumbag and he's well known in the industry for being a scumbag. Mm. But I got hit early on with a significant, uh, you know, impact to the business just from a cash flow standpoint by some guy that just was pretty sleazy. And we've had that since then, just in a much small, but man, I tell you what, if you do not have a contract, people do not care. And even if you do have a contract, mm. people don't care. It's wild to me. So we almost lost our shirt and I told him that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are things you learn along the way. Yeah. What do you feel like? Uh, so you had all those little businesses, you know, that before this business, what do you feel like you learned from those ones that prepared you for this one that you have now? Um, a number of things. Uh, the main thing was operations. So with the single family home structure that we had and just being investors and landlords with that, 
it taught me that you need to have some sort of operational framework and limits on the business. You don't want people to be calling you at all hours with toilets and things clogging. Same thing with the business. Like you need to have business hours and structure. Otherwise it's going to eat you alive. And I had to learn that the hard way. So like the first year I was pretty involved with picking stuff up at all hours of the day and night. And eventually I just had to kind of consolidate that and just say, Hey, I'm going to focus on these opportunities and spend time with my family. That's been a really hard lesson. The other thing is, like I just said, get some people don't learn that though till way too late. Right. So, uh, yeah. Well, and and the other thing is, you know, get everything in writing, get everything in writing Mm -hmm. twice, get everything in writing three times, possibly Mm -hmm. four times. Uh, And then double check that the understanding that you have and that they have is the same. Because mm-hmm. I cannot tell you the amount of times that I've had minor screw-ups, major screw-ups, or getting screwed happen to the business. The, the big mistake early on taught me a lot about doing that again. But since then, we've had you know, things happen, and you've got to be flexible. There was really nothing that prepared me for that, honestly. None of those other businesses were big enough to where I could have that kind of a major screw-up. There was stuff that you would buy that you wouldn't be able to sell, but that's super minor, especially mm-hmm. if it's like 100 bucks. We were talking a $20,000 mistake. That's a totally different ball game. So mm-hmm. that was super scary. But yeah, I mean, the major thing was like creating an operational process or at least something that somebody else can step into. And as you're developing employees, making sure you know that. So understanding the market, the more you do it, the amount of volume that you do, particularly in the flipping market is super important. Mm-hmm. You can have something that generally sells for X and uh, it may not matter if it's a collector, he'll pay whatever price. And I've had, yeah. I just had to learn that certain things just mark it up and people will pay people for it. Pay. Certain stuff, it's not going to sell at all. Mark the heck down. But that's an experiential thing. It's weird because there's no, Ke- there's no Kelly blue book of fitness equipment. There's only mm-hmm. yes, like put your finger in the air. And I kind of had to learn that through trial and error. And, and mm-hmm. so previous experiences with like flipping electronics kind of taught me that that's just, it's a supply and demand game. And um, mm-hmm. you just kind of got get get the experience under your belt and go. But that was pretty... Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's one of the biggest lessons is like, you just got to get started, right? Like you could have said like, I got to figure out how to perfectly price everything before I buy my first piece of inventory, right? And how many people get stuck there? Well, I'm going to research. I'm going to watch some more videos and this. And it's like, dude, just go, you know, buy some dumbbells and see if you can sell them, right? Like you'll learn more from that. You give yourself confidence and you can't have researching dumbbells for six more months. Yeah. We take the same approach with our social media strategy. So a lot of people will take a look at our TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and think this guy's an idiot because he's putting out a bunch of content that might seem low effort. But it's honestly for us, the more I do that, the better I get at putting out content that people want to see. And mm-hmm. I've just been doing that since day one, like two to four videos a day, just push it out there. And just like reselling, if you don't do that and you don't exercise the muscle, A, nobody's going to hear about you and B, you're never going to get better at it. So I just kind of, you just got to go for it, man. Yeah, you're doing it for you right now. This is more for you to learn it than for them to watch it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Is that your marketing strategy right now to, uh, to get leads on these sales? Yeah, it's a combination of things. So we get a, we get some traffic from social media. It was, it was a little bit starting out. It's more now. So we're getting on more podcasts and, and get, I'm getting more involved in the home gym community and forums Mm -hmm. and things, but yeah, I mean, it was just, uh, crank out. I, I got a, a lot of advice from a, a digital marketer friend of mine, which is, you know, especially as you're building the website, having more articles, more content, all of your social media is driving to your website as long as it's linked properly. So mm-hmm. the more, the better, um, as long as it's, you know, appropriately keyworded and SEO'd and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. as long as you're doing that, I mean, 
a lot of people just don't do it. A lot of people just, um, they don't have the time or they don't think they, they don't want to have the time or they think they're going to look stupid on camera or I look like an idiot on camera. I'm going to be honest, like 90% of the time. Hey, I think you look nice. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'll make a fool of myself, put, take my shirt off and do some deadlifts and, you know, try to create content that I don't care. It doesn't matter. I'll do whatever. And it's not just, it's not just to get views, but it's like, if you don't try it, who's mm-hmm. to say it's going to, you know, it's going to work or not. So it's worked mm-hmm. if it's driving traffic. I've, I've done all sorts of different things. The big thing too, has been getting involved in the home gym community. There's a lot of used gym equipment sellers that just aren't involved. I don't know why, but they're just not involved. Like they're there. They're big, a big corporation in the ether somewhere, but they're not personally involved in home gym forums, garage gym forums, garage gym reviews, any of those guys. And I made it my mission to not only interview those guys on our own podcast, mm-hmm. but then create articles promoting them and saying, Hey, if you want to know where the best barbell is, go to this guy. If you mm-hmm. want to know what the best bench is, talk to this guy. And that got us yeah. a lot of attention. You know, we, we, we created like a top 10 article of the best garage gym review sites to go to. And, um, it just, yeah, it's helpful for people. That's very helpful oh, yeah. for people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it just tied us directly into the community. So that was, that was big as creating a sense of community. And we're starting to try to do that with freedom fitness. Recently I've been targeting firefighters, first responders, EMS, police, nice police yeah. and we're trying to lean into that name a little bit more, but it started with, it started with the home gym community, honestly. Yeah. I like that. What advice? I mean, there's so many people who are working a nine to five job, right? They've probably wanted to be an entrepreneur forever. Maybe they've done a couple of little things on the side. What do you feel like would be advice you'd want to give them or things you experienced that really helped put you over the edge to take that leap to say, I'm going to actually do this. So the number one thing, which I don't think I've touched on yet is um, you're going to experience an insane amount of fear taking that jump off of that cliff, however big or small that cliff is. So having a supportive spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever it is that can be alongside you is super important or family member that, mm-hmm. that can kind of help you and take the, almost take the jump with you without actually taking the jump with you. But you've, I, I think that, so I, I'll, I'll tell another story. So at the same time that we were dealing with this $20,000 loss, mm-hmm. I am, I, I, we're doing the extraction. We're sort of taking all this equipment out of this building. And I'm sitting there having an internal panic attack, unbolting a squat rack, because I'm thinking to myself, I've taken on too much. We may not have room for all this equipment in the warehouse. What am I going to do? And I'm just having this internal monologue and like freaking out. And then I, you know, get in my car, call my wife. We, we talk through it and everything's fine. But I think there's a moment in every new venture where you kind of have that freak out or hard in your mouth moment. I'm taking this and it's, this is real. This is it. And we're, there's no turning back. Like there is no plan B <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. It's going to happen. Um, for some people, it's going to be more gradual. If you have it, like for us, we had a little bit of a backup because we had some money from saved from, you know, when we exited the, the company, but for other people they they have nothing. And that's actually a huge driver. Like if you have zero in the you bank, you have to succeed. You have to, exactly. You just have to make it. But I think everybody kind of has a gut check at some point or another. And I think that was, that was ours. So having the support system of some kind, a church, like a that. family, you know, a spouse, I think is, is huge. And then just expect that things are going to go very, very, very wrong at mm-hmm. some point or some points. It just is. And it, you can't do anything about it. I'm sorry. I've made mistake, more mistakes than I can count. And it's my fault. And it's always going to be my fault. It is not going to be my employee's fault. It's not going to be their fault. It's going to be mm-hmm. my fault because yeah. I run the business and I made a mistake. 
um, even the $20,000 mistake was, yeah, okay, somebody, somebody intentionally defrauded me, but I chose to be in business with them. Mm-hmm. I made the cho- I made the judgment call. You got to take care. accountability of it. Yeah. You can sit there and blame people all you want, but that doesn't actually help you in any way, right? It just makes you mad, makes you angry, yeah. and that's not a way to live, right? Yeah. And you've got to have somebody that can tell you that to either yourself or somebody else. Like, you screwed up and just move on. You, you've mm-hmm. got to keep moving. Um, otherwise, you're going to bury the business in your emotional distress. Yeah. Out of pride. Yeah. Or like out of, yeah. yeah. And, and, and blame having, others. Having some backbone. So I'll be, I'll be frank. I'm pretty sensitive and I've had to work on that a lot. Like I take things personally and I've, I've had a good friend of mine that's pointed that out a couple of times and it's, it's, I've taken that personally, but I've realized, you know, things that customers say, things that clients say, things that business partners say, people you're working with say, it's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection on, they're just talking business most times. And even if they are trying to disparage you, it's not a reflection on your character unless you're actually being a jackass. Excuse my language, but you know, <laughs> there, it's not on. It's it's not on you. If you are in business, if you are above board in everything that you do, and in my case, since I'm a Christian, you know, if I'm glorifying God mm-hmm. in everything that I'm doing, there is it. no, you know, account. Then then there is nothing anybody can say that is going to take away from that. So mm-hmm. have your own standard, whatever that is. And as long as you are attaining that standard and you are ethically and morally bound to that, everything else can just go over your head. Uh, mm-hmm. So grow a backbone is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I like it. And I think it's like uh, all of those little challenges. I mean, you had some big ones there, but you have so many challenges that prepare you for what's next, right? Like you, uh, you need those challenges to get your business to grow, to learn the things that you need to learn. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's just, it's just what growth feels like with a business, right? Like it's not going to be always comfortable, right? It's yeah. And that's like, means you're growing. Yeah. And like I said, it's, you know, it's a scary thing. It's just you, especially if you're a solo entrepreneur and you don't have a business mm-hmm. investor, but, um, most people don't exist in a vacuum. You've got some sort of support structure. So just lean on yeah, that. Which is important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, yeah. um, make sure that you're surrounding yourself, even if, if it's not family, if it's like other business people and you're going to meetings and stuff to just get encouragement that way, like do that. I, I found that's really helpful having like, uh, I think some people have described it as having a, um, board of, uh, directors kind of mm-hmm. not officially running your business, but like just people you can go to for advice. I yeah. Found that that's super helpful. Yeah. Team of mentors. When I was first starting out, I had like a, I don't know, maybe like a list of eight different guys who had been in a similar space as I am. And it's like, yeah, regular, like, Hey, I want to take you out to lunch again. (laughs) Right. Like this is okay. I did what you told me. got me here. Now I need to get here. Like, or I'm running into this and yeah, just being able to talk things through, get advice. It's important. How important do you think all those little things you did, do you think that gave you the confidence to really wrap both hands around this when you started, you know, this, this business or to recognize the opportunity. Do you think if you didn't have all the little side businesses, you would have had the confidence to go after this with the energy that you did? Yeah, probably not, honestly, because it's like dipping your toe in the entrepreneurial pool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if you never have a taste of that, you'll never get the itch, but you'll also won't have the experience of what it means to buy and sell. I mean, there's just Mm -hmm. certain like basic operational things that you need to know. How do you list something on eBay? How do you list Mm -hmm. something on Facebook Marketplace? What makes an item desirable? How do you describe it? How do you take photos? Like all that stuff. If I didn't have any of that background, it would have been super rough. I mean, you talk about mistakes. Mm -hmm. The business probably would have blown up in my face by now if I didn't have that experience. So I think all of that prepared me 
I will say though, this is totally unlike any other venture that I've ever done because of the scale and the mistakes and the things that I'm learning now are totally different than anything, any mistakes or any things I've mm-hmm. learned in the past. It's all bigger. Yeah, yeah. It's all bigger, but it's also like super different. I mean, just discussions and quarrels and fights and disagreements and things with different people or, or problems with different people that I, I never thought I would have and just operational issues, but it's more serious, but it's also, and more challenging, but it's also more fun because of that in some ways, which is weird. It sounds masochistic, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. it's not, it's part of running a business. So I'd say that those, those definitely did prepare me, but in some ways I don't think they could have ever prepared me enough. Yeah. Yeah. You're always going to have that level of fear. You're always going to have to take a risk, right? It's never going to be perfect, right? It's never going to be super easy. Otherwise everyone would be doing it, but uh, yeah, you know, just, you got to take the risk eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And it's, you know, it's good to, when you find, you know, we have, we happen to find our niche and find something that we really enjoyed and not everybody has that. Other people have mm-hmm. years of businesses like this that are kind of, that end up being a side hobby that they are not the real main thing that they should be pursuing. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. But, mm-hmm. um, those all still prepare you for whatever you end up doing ultimately, even if it is working a nine to five corporate job, that's fine too. I don't have anything yeah. against that. Yeah. What do you think has been the most fulfilling part of the whole journey of starting this business and having the business? So I was thinking, I was just doing some self-reflection yeah. on why did I even do this in the first place? <laughs> How often do you ask yourself that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what made me think this was a good idea? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, I think it's because I, this to me feels like a video game. This is really weird to say. So have you ever played like Age of Empires or The Sims or Civilization 4 or whatever? Kind of like you have your own little worlds, kind of yeah. video games like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I treat this business as a video game where mm-hmm. it's fun to invest, see the returns, invest some more, see more returns. It's awesome. And mm-hmm. that's exactly how I view all this. Maybe I'm in a bubble and it's all going to pop one day, but it's fun. And mm-hmm. uh, that's what keeps me going is because I feel it's so weird to say, but with all these kinds of things, it feels like a video game. It's something that I can have fun with, invest in, and actually see tangible returns in a way mm-hmm. that I couldn't see when I was working in corporate. I would mm-hmm. do all this stuff in the background. I couldn't see what the impact was to the client. Right. I, I, mm-hmm. could help the, I could even help the client tangibly. And there was like a momentary oh, hey, like the light bulb went on, but it was, it was just for a moment. With this stuff, I'm helping families that are working out together. I'm helping people lose like 20. There was this guy that lost 20 pounds because he bought a bunch of equipment from us and actually started using it. Yeah. Uh, you know, stuff like that, like real tangible outcomes. And it's fun. So mm-hmm. that's what keeps me going is, and it, obviously the other stuff I've talked about, support structures and stuff, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. But mm-hmm. the, the day-to-day just having fun with the business at the point at which I would stop having fun with it is when I'll quit. But Mm -hmm. so far it just, it's, it's weird. It almost feels like a simulation, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, not like the matrix, but like a, like almost like a video game. It's weird. Well, there's that slight level of challenge, right? Like my business, it, fully challenges me, right? But in like a really rewarding way. And kind of like you said, you know, another job, you're you're probably challenged, right? They're probably not at a shortage of challenges, but they don't see the end result, like you said, of the challenges where it's like, I'm so fully challenged, but like I'm, it's growing, right? And in a video game, that's probably their goal, right? Is to give you the just right amount of challenge where you can see your progress, but it's still a challenge. And uh, the thing is, is it's fun, right? Like once you finish the video game, 
it's not like you're left super, I mean, maybe you have a level of satisfaction, but you're sad, right? Like the, the fun comes from the challenge and that's, yeah, the beauty of having your own business that you're passionate about. Yeah. And, and at the point that I start, you know, that's a really good point too. At the point at which I would stop being challenged is the point at which I would probably exit or sell or mm-hmm. do any number of things. But again, at that point, I mean, you can hand the challenge off to, if it's a family business, your family, and then they can continue to grow it in ways that you didn't think because you, you know, you don't have the imagination for it anymore or whatever it is, but that's the benefit of having and running your own thing is you can kind of do with it, whatever you want. I could turn mm-hmm. this into a clothing business tomorrow if I really wanted to. It'd be a complete yeah. 180, but I can, I can do, I, again, I can do whatever I want with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What have you learned about yourself through your venture of entrepreneurship that you might not have learned otherwise? What do you think there? Yeah, man, I can be, so on the negative side, so I can be, <laughs> I can be vengeful and <laughs> egotistical, okay. you know, all these mm-hmm. like things I was talking about, about, you know, just wanting to get back at somebody because of comments they make. I had a guy walk in and I, I talked about this on another podcast, but I had a guy walk in and take a look around it. 4,000 square feet of space that was stacked to the gunnels with equipment and say, this isn't a lot of equipment. And I'm like, I took that super personally and I shouldn't mm-hmm. have. It's just, it's just a comedy he's made. He's probably been in a hundred thousand square foot warehouse stacked mm-hmm. with equipment. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's all relative, but I've learned that, you know, my ego needs to just take a backseat every single time. You need to be gracious and kind to people. And that's, that's mm-hmm. the thing that pays off. Not because of some selfish reason, but because you're actually being genuinely kind to people. Um, I've also learned that, you know, my reaction to stress under pressure is to execute, but not necessarily communicate. <laughs> mm. So, you know, under pressure, I just go and do what needs to be done. And I move way faster than people are comfortable with, but it, 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 it changes the landscape and it gets, it gets whatever needs to get done, gets done. And I've just had to learn that my pace is way faster. This was the same problem I had in corporate. Like my pace is way faster than most people's pace. I just need to be mm-hmm. patient with people. Mm-hmm. Like they have other things they need to attend to as well. Their own businesses they need to attend to and their own operational problems. Not everything that I'm bringing to them, not every issue that I'm bringing to them is their issue. And mm-hmm. so I need to be understanding that they have things going on that I don't know and their own problems that I don't know. And I can't just be prioritized every single time. I've, it's also a personal thing. So, you know, if I'm just got head down grinding, trying to get something accomplished, I, I need to be communicating to my family about what's going on instead of just clamming mm-hmm. up about it. And I've, that's another thing that I get really stressed and I wouldn't talk about it or I just get really stressed and kind of not know what to do. So the communication part has definitely improved. So yeah, personality and communication and, and how I react under, under pressure has just kind of, it's just, you know, the, any business in my opinion will do that to you. It'll make you realize who you actually are pretty starkly. And if yeah. you don't realize who you are, somebody's going to tell you. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like, yeah, entrepreneurship in so many ways has just been a journey deeper inside myself, right? It's like you just discover these things and lots of ways. I mean, kind of you bring up, you know, letting go of your ego or becoming to be more patient with other people. It's like it wears you down, but like it sharpens you as a better person, right? Like it brings up these like parts of you that aren't the best that you have to let get up, go of right? You can let your ego get in the way of your business growth. And there's plenty of people who do, right? Uh, and it's like, okay, I might have to let go of myself here, right? I can lash at this guy for telling me my warehouse is small, or I can just like set that aside for a minute, right? And continue to have a business relationship with them, right? It's, uh, yeah. And it's, it's incredible how that happens. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of positive things I've learned from this. The main thing is I've realized I can do this. 
Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't think starting out, I could do this. And I thought three months in six months in, this is all temporary. This is going to fall apart. I thought, you know, at the, the hit that we took getting that stuff out of the warehouse, it was going to be done. Mm -hmm. But I realized like we can pull through and you can make it happen. And I've, I've had that philosophy pretty much since day one, like we'll find a way to make it work. And I've told people mm-hmm. we'll find a way to make it work, even if it seems impossible. So I've had a lot more resilience and figuring outedness, I guess. And I've also got more connections to, to make that kind of stuff happen. So like, as I've been in the industry, there's more people, more and more people I can call on to if we're in a tight spot to like help execute and make things happen. But it's been, it's been really good because I'm happier now than I ever was I was running like I was running into major medical issues when we, I was at the at my previous job that just evaporated overnight when I started my own business, which is weird because you'd think, mm. oh, your own business is going to be super stressful. And yeah, I mean, it's got its own stress, but it's not anything mm. like what I was doing before. So yeah, I've, I've just learned mm. that uh, my response to being my own boss actually it's probably good for my health. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I'll tell you what that lesson of. Uh learning that I can do this, right? Like that might be one of the most valuable lessons you can learn, right? There's so many people that they, they don't have that belief within themselves and it constantly gets in the way of them wanting to take the steps that they want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's incredible. And it, and it goes back to that discussion we were having about just taking the jump off of the, the cliff and it does mm-hmm. feel like a cliff, but if you don't, mm-hmm. I've, I've been pretty confident throughout my entire life. Like I'm a, I'm probably overconfident at times and it took me a lot to take the jump and a lot of, I mean, it took me eight years when I should have probably quit three years in um, mm-hmm. to make this happen. So, um, yeah. I feel for people that are in that same situation and, but at the same time, one thing I would say is, you know, so I'm 32 now and people can do this at any age. There's folks that are 40 and 50 who are just getting started at basically getting to be millionaires. Mm-hmm. Um, who are starting extremely, extremely successful businesses. So if you're twenties and thirties, you're just getting started. I mean, you're mm-hmm. super, super young, even forties. Um, and so I don't want people to hear this and go, Oh, this sounds like a lot of work. I'm kind of discouraged about maybe being able to take that leap. No, do it. If you, especially if you have a plan in place or even, even I wonder about that, right. You know, we've talked about how prepared are you? I don't think you can ever really be prepared. For you never be. No. Yeah. I, I don't. I think anybody that thinks that is just delusional. Uh, it's kind of like getting married or having kids. Like you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you think you're ready. You have no idea. Yeah. Really <laughs> yep. Yep. Now I'm learning what that's like having a two month old. It was like a couple <laughs> weeks in, it's like, wow, did, did we think this through? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. and, then, and then you get over the hump, right? And it's, I don't know, once they stop, they start to sleep a little more. It's like, okay, now this is fun. But uh, yeah, it's almost like that blindness or that, uh, naiveness, like if I, it's, it was a blessing, right? Like if I didn't have that, if I would have known all the things I was going to run into starting my business, like I might've been hesitant to start or think like I need to be more prepared. But the reality is, was, is I didn't need to be prepared. I just needed to do it right. And you needed to get started. So yeah. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I like that. And I like how you mentioned, you know, it can take quicker than you think. You know, there's people who maybe they're 55, they're working a job like, well, I'm getting near retirement. You know, I want to retire at 65. I remember like I was out like three or four years out of college and it was like, look, I've already started two businesses that more than provide for me. Like it's, it's not like you needed, I don't know. It's like, uh, yeah, now I was in a position I could take a lot of risk because I didn't have any, anything to lose. But uh, it's also like, yeah, you don't, 
you don't have to go take 20 years getting your business started, right? It could take and you're three years down this journey, two years into this journey, right? And it's, yeah, it can happen quickly. And for those who are listening, who are super risk averse, like I was, especially starting out, there are ways to do this that are super low risk, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the reasons why I was doing all those side businesses during my main job is because I was trying to find the exit point, like the residential real estate market. Can I get enough homes where I can just completely exit my current job and just do that as a landlord? Mm -hmm. uh, but doing it on the side, well, you have a nine to five. That is mm -hmm. by far the best way to do this stuff is mm -hmm. just spend a bunch of hours in the evening, make sure your family's taken care of, but spend a bunch of hours in the evening grinding away and working and developing this. And then at some point, it'll just take over and you'll, you'll mm -hmm. quit your job or leave your job or there'll be a better opportunity. Some people like the guys over at Massonomics, which is a, another like apparel brand and also podcast, but those guys are still working in like IT and mm. are all over the place in mm -hmm. the fitness space, but they're still doing this technically on the side. Yeah. yeah. So there are ways and to the do great it. thing with you're having your own business, like you can build your own business in a way that it takes 60 hours a week, right? Or you could build it in a way where you can run it in 12. It's uh yeah, it's whether you, you know, you could be going and picking up every piece of equipment and driving yourself crazy, or right, like you can build your business model so other people can pick those things up and deliver them and you can focus on the things you want to focus on. Is yeah. that the four hour work week on your bookshelf? It is. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Anybody yeah. who hasn't read that needs to read it. It's what you will fill your time with something and it might as well be being more efficient. So that book is not about having a four hour work week. That book is about finding the time to build the thing that you actually want to do for the rest of your life. So, Yeah, it's a great book. I would say one last piece of advice before we wrap this up. Those people who are thinking about making the jump, and you kind of touched on this before, but what do you feel like is a piece of advice? You know, they've been thinking about making the jump into entrepreneurship. What would you tell them? Yeah, so I would, I would just reiterate what I said before, which is do it as safe. If you are risk averse and you don't, don't want to make that leap off a cliff and have your heart jump into your throat, do it on the side until it becomes so big that it's actually butting into your main job. At that point, make the evaluation of whether it's profitable enough to either completely replace your income, which it might, mm -hmm. or um, at least take over the majority of what you're currently making um, just so you can continue to support yourself and, and whoever else. If you're accepting of all the risk in the world, go for it. I mean, there's mm -hmm. no, especially if you're super young, I wish I would have done this straight out of college. I wish I had done this during college, honestly, mm -hmm. um, because I could have just experimented with different things while I was doing my studies. But the younger you are, the more leeway you have because you can, companies don't really care. I mean, you can hop around a bunch now anyway, mm -hmm. and it's not going to make a difference from a resume perspective. So if you want to have your safety blanket of, I can always go back to a nine to five, just hop in and do something. And most of the flipping stuff is going to be super successful. So that's a really safe place to start if you're just trying to do straight flips. But there's one thing that I will tell people never to do, or not not never to do, but not to do. So there's a lot of uh, startups in, in, in Silicon Valley and California that are taking on massive amounts of debt. And there are these crazy valuations like Uber back in the day where you're getting $20 million for a company that hasn't proven itself. I would avoid that at all costs because you're taking on a massive amount of risk. Most entrepreneurial ventures, 80 to 90% of them will not last. And that's not to scare anybody away. It's to say, don't take on debt. The less debt you take on, the more successful you're likely to be. Because even mm -hmm. if you do need to exit, you're not screwing yourself over. So mm -hmm. always be, always have a plan. And, and there's ways to do this safely. 
And if you want to take the jump, just take, take the jump. Just don't do it with a massive amount of debt, especially if you're just going to jump straight into something without a safety net. You know, that, that's the, the best way that I know uh, how to start a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get creative. You can find a way to take the first step without taking a massive risk, without taking a bunch of debt, right? You just might have to be more resourceful. Yeah. Yeah. You can bootstrap mm-hmm. things. I mean, there's, if you listen to folks like Gary Vaynerchuk, I mean, you can go to, it sounds dumb, but it's really not. Uh, you can go to garage sales and make a few thousand bucks in a week if you're smart about picking out stuff uh, that people just don't really know the value, value of, or you do, and you can resell on eBay. I mean, it's it's not terribly difficult to get a few bucks to, to start something on your own. Yeah, I like it. Well, Ashton, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your story. It's inspiring, I think, for especially lots of people who are thinking of making that jump, you know, to see that you can do it and learn that lesson like, I can do that right? It's, that's probably one of the most valuable lessons you can learn in your life, right? I'm, I'm able to do these things that I want to do. So thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure having you on here. <laughs> awesome. I appreciate yep. it, Jason. All right. Talk to you later. Take it easy. All right, guys. Like I said, Ashton had a ton of great, valuable insights to share about his entrepreneurship journey. Hopefully you've left away with some key takeaways that you can help you with your own business ventures. If you want to connect with him more, be sure to check out his podcast. I'll put his social media links below. And hey, if you're in the market for used gym equipment, be sure to check out their website. They have a great selection of equipment that you can use. You guys, hope you have a great week. Let's go crazy. Crazy.